Good morning again. It's great to be with you all this morning. And as always, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to proclaim God's Word to you. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to ask the question, why is the resurrection of Jesus good news? Why is it exciting? Why is it a cause for rejoicing? We have said that it is good news. Today is Easter. We say things like, Alleluia, Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. We say this is good news. We know we are supposed to be happy. We know we are supposed to be glad. But why? Think about that for a second. Why is the resurrection of Jesus a cause for joy? Keep that question in mind as we read our passage today. But before we read God's Word, would you go to Him with me in prayer? Blessed Lord, You have caused all the Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read them, learn them, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of Your Holy Word, we may embrace and hold fast to the hope of everlasting life, which You have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is 1 Corinthians 15. We'll begin in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to the more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now let's skip down to verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to give an answer to that question I asked a moment ago. Why is the resurrection of Jesus good news? But in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, he's not primarily trying to answer that question. You may have noticed this in verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul says that there are some in Corinth who are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. They aren't denying primarily the resurrection of Jesus. What they are denying is the bodily resurrection of believers on the last day, the day that Jesus returns to earth. They seem to be saying that after you die, there is nothing more. They're denying that phrase that we say in the second to last line of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. But what Paul does is he ties the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of believers on the last day, to the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Notice this in verse 13. He says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Do you see that line of logic? He's saying, You say there is no general resurrection. That believers dying and then rising again from the dead, soul and body being reunited, you say that isn't going to happen. Well, if there's no resurrection at all, then you must admit that not even Jesus rose from the dead. And this starts him down a trail that should be very interesting to us. It matters to us as Christian because it starts him down a trail of telling us all the things that we lose as Christians if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. And there's an easy switch from these wonderful realities aren't true if Jesus has not been raised to these things are true because Jesus in fact has been raised from the dead. And we're going to see three things here. There are more, but we're going to focus on three things this morning that I hope help us to see why the resurrection is a joyful event for us. And not just to see and say, oh yes, that's very interesting. I understand now that sounds plausible to me. But my hope is that you will see that the resurrection is exciting and you will be excited that you will see that it is cause for rejoicing and you will rejoice. That you will see that the resurrection is a cause for hope and you will in turn have hope. May the Holy Spirit stir our hearts and give us that joy and hope. Three things that Paul says give us cause to rejoice in Jesus' resurrection. First, Because of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is vindicated as the Messiah, the anointed one of God. We'll see that in verses 13 to 15. Second, in verse 17, we'll see that because of Jesus' resurrection, we are no longer in our sins. 
And then third, in verses 18 to 23, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope beyond this life. So first, Jesus' resurrection from the dead has vindicated Him as the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One of God. Read with me verses 13 through 15. He says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So he says that if Christ has not been raised, then the preaching of the apostles is in vain. That means that it's empty. And that your faith is also in vain. You have an empty faith if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And then he says that the apostles would be misrepresenting God because they keep going around telling everyone that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And this is very important. It's very important for us to see the content of the preaching of the apostles. When they go around and begin proclaiming the gospel, what is it that they say? It's something like this. He told you. He told you that He was the Messiah. He told you He was the Anointed One of God. And look, He was right. It's a little bit more nuanced than that, but that seems to be what they say over and over and over again. Listen to what Peter says in the first Christian sermon in Acts 2. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus had declared that he was the Son of God, that he was the long-awaited Messiah who would bring the kingdom of God and conquer all his enemies. And Jesus hinged all of that on his prediction that he would die and three days later rise from the dead. In Romans 1 verse 4, Paul says that he is about to tell the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and then he says, who was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And that ought to be a cause for rejoicing because we don't trust in some false prophet. We don't trust in some Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain. We don't put our confidence in some idea or some ethic that Jesus embodied and that now lives on in us. We put our confidence in the Son of God who proved that He was by rising again from the dead. He is the Holy One of God. He will do all that He has promised to do. So that's the first reason that Paul gives us to rejoice, to be excited about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection declares the very foundation of the Christian faith 
that Jesus is God. Secondly, we can rejoice in the resurrection because it means that we are no longer in our sins. Look with me at verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The last verses we read said that our faith would be vain or empty without the resurrection. There would be no content for us to confess our faith in if Jesus was proven to not be God. Here, Paul tells us that our faith would be futile, fruitless, of no value. And then he tells us why. He says, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then you are still in your sins. He could mean two things by this. He could be talking about us still bearing the guilt of our sin, or he could be talking about us still being under the power or the dominion of sin. It's certainly a wonderful truth that we just confessed two days ago on Good Friday that Jesus has freed us from the guilt of sin. He did that in His death on the cross. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That is the glorious truth of the Gospel. We no longer bear our guilt. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what we celebrated on Good Friday. But when it comes to the resurrection, it's more likely that Paul is talking about the power of sin over us. That this power has been broken. This is what Paul rejoices in when he talks about the resurrection life we have in Christ in Romans 6. Listen to what he says. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. The Bible teaches that sin isn't just something you do. It's also something that does something to you. Just like the ring of power in J.R.R. Tolkien's books, The Lord of the Rings, the more you sin, the more you engage in it, the more it gains control over you. This is the way that all sin works. Sexual sin, gossip, hatred of other people, lying, coveting, or longing for stuff. The Bible says that sin enslaves us and makes us obey its passions. But, if you trust in Jesus, because He has been raised from the dead, you have been set free from that enslaving power of sin. Paul says again in Romans 6, If we have been united with Jesus in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, that sinful self that was enslaved to sin, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
The good news of the gospel is not just that your sins are no longer counted against you. You have been forgiven. That is wonderful, marvelous news. But that is only part of the news. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and you are united to Him by faith, you too are a new creation. You share in His resurrection life. Sin no longer has dominion over you. This is so important for us as we think about those sins that just seem to linger in our lives and seem to keep coming back. Maybe it's a dependence on alcohol. Or you keep dabbling in pornography. For you, it may be a constant refrain of gossip that wrecks your closest relationships. It may be that you lash out in anger again and again at your kids or your coworkers or your friends, or you find that you're constantly longing for someone else's life or someone else's stuff. Brothers and sisters, because you have been united to the resurrected Son of God, your sin is not in control of you. You can defeat your sin. You can resist your temptation. You can have victory because you are not fighting the battle on your own. But the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And He gives you power to live in righteousness. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Rejoice because the resurrected Christ has risen from the dead and you are no longer in your sins. The third and final reason that we have that the resurrection gives us cause to rejoice is that we have been given hope beyond this life. This shows up in verses 18 through 19, but let's begin reading back at 16 for context. He says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The first thing Paul says is that if there is no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, meaning those believers united to Christ who have died, they have perished. If there is no resurrection, their soul will not be reunited to their glorified body to everlasting life. And if that's the case, he says, then all of your hope, all of your enjoyment, all of your good life is forced into that time before your death. All the pressure is put on the here and now to fulfill every longing and every desire you have because you will not be raised to everlasting life. And he says, if that is true then Christians are of all people the most to be pitied. The Christian life is hard. In some ways, it's not harder than anyone else's life. Things like disease and trauma and the loss of a job and death of loved ones happen in this world without distinction, both to believers and to unbelievers. But as a Christian, you have an added element to this. Jesus teaches you to take up your cross daily. 
He says that if you would save your life, you must lose it. He tells you to endure pain now without retaliating in sin. So you endure hardships willingly, often not seeking to relieve those hardships. When your marriage is a wreck, you endure. When your boss treats you unfairly, you don't respond in slander or scheming. You love even those you might call an enemy. When money is tight, you still give to others out of your poverty. Christians are called to endure suffering, to withstand it, and to press through it. And so, if Christ has not been raised, then we are enduring those hardships for the sake of a future which is not going to happen. If that is the case, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, Paul finally says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. It's almost as if Paul can't keep up the hypothetical any longer. He spent all of verses 12 through 19 hypothesizing about what things would be like if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. But when he comes to this point, about Christians only having hope in this life, he can't stand it any longer. He finally bursts out and says, but it is true. It is true. Christ has been raised from the dead. Your faith isn't in vain. You are not in your sins any longer. We do have hope in this life. Hallelujah, Christ arose. And then he immediately connects it back with what he just said, about those who have fallen asleep, those Christians who have died in Christ. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you know what firstfruits are? My family and I have been gardening for the last three or four years, and so we've gotten to see this firsthand. Many of you have been doing this your whole life, or you've been farming your whole life, and so you get to see this Every year, you plant these seeds in the ground, and there's excitement about what's to come. But you have to exercise so much patience. You walk out one day after a lot of waiting, and you say, oh, look, a stem. And then you walk out a little bit later, a few days later, and you say, oh, a couple of leaves. And then a little while longer, you finally see a bloom. And then finally... One day after all that waiting, you walk out and you yell back to the house, we got one, a jalapeno pepper. <laughs> Why are we so excited about one little fruit, one little vegetable? Are you excited about that one fruit or vegetable? No. You're excited because this one pepper means that all the others are coming. And so it is with Christ. His resurrection is the sign that all those who belong to Him 
are about to follow suit. His resurrection is not just about Him. It's about the new humanity that is following on His heels. It's about the promise that His resurrection means the resurrection for all believers. It's about death. Not just His death, but the death of all believers being swallowed up. This is what Paul means by the reference to Adam. Just as Adam represented all of humanity when he sinned in the garden and brought on death, so Christ represented all of the new humanity when He rose from the dead. Jesus comes out of the tomb as our champion and our trailblazer, and we all will follow. So as you look around at the hardships of this life, friends and family members dying, sleepless nights because of anxiety, or a colicky baby, or a fight with your spouse, loss of your job and fear of the future, discouragement that the life you thought you were going to live didn't turn out the way you had imagined, sickness and disease and the slow decay of the body. As you look around at all those things, rejoice at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His resurrection is a foretaste of the age to come. It is a foretaste of what you will receive if you trust in Him. So we do not lose heart, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, rejoice at the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you have hope beyond this life. Death is not the end of life for the believer because Jesus has conquered death. So we rejoice. Rejoice that Jesus is who He said He was. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God Himself. Rejoice that He has freed us from the power and dominion of sin. His resurrection life is in you to make you a slave not of sin, but of righteousness. And this resurrected Jesus is the first fruit. He is the sign that all those who belong to Him are about to join Him in the new humanity where there will be no more sin or sorrow or death. In our resurrected bodies, we will have perfect fellowship with the triune God and with one another. World without end. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you have risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory. We believe that it is true. Help us not just to believe with our minds, but to feel this truth in our whole selves. Holy Spirit, give us hope in the life that is to come and give us strength now to endure suffering and fight our sin. Make the resurrection life of Jesus ours. In His name we pray. Amen.